Hello and welcome to episode four of the podcast with me, Dominic Hill. My guest today is Ryan McClory, and we are going to be talking about his paper in the journal Forest Ecology and Management called Spring Phenology Dominates Over Light Availability in Affecting Seedling Performance and Plant Attack During the Growing Season. Catchy title. It's very good. Yeah, yeah very good. Um, at least I haven't got any puns in it. Uh, yes. My uh, my supervisor, sorry Luke, is absolutely yeah. obsessed with yeah. puns in titles and he works on Rocket. Uh, so everything yeah. is rocket science. See, yeah, because my, my undergrad thesis was uh, follow your nose, like the effect of volatiles on um, elixir spirits or something like this. So yeah. Yeah, people love love a, love a pun title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I was a reviewer, I'd get, <laughs> get rid of all of them. That would be all I would say. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. No puns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I thought we should begin because I've, I've, in the last few episodes, I've been kind of jumping ahead of myself a little bit. So mm-hmm. I want to take it back, set the scene a little bit and talk yeah. about um, your PhD project as a mm-hmm. whole. Yeah. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about your your PhD? Certainly can. So, so yeah, uh, my PhD is basically on oak masting. So um, oak trees will produce acorn crops once every four to seven years. It's not exactly that, but basically this is what people tend to say. And they'll do this in sort of a huge boom of um, acorns in one year and then not very few in the preceding and years after. Um, they think this is partly maybe just to sort of starve seed predators and stuff like this. So when you do have a mast year of all the acorns being produced, um, there's not as many predators about. And those that are about are sort of going to be satiated quite quickly. Um, but I'm looking at sort of the mecha- mechanistic drivers of what causes this um, mast. So um, it's important to know this because we've got, I mean, especially with the COP and this, the government wants to plant so many trees. I think it's something like 30,000 hectares by um, 2025, 2024, somewhere around there. Um, and they need for this to know where the seed crop is coming for. And species like oak, where they do this mast in behaviour, as well as having acorns that are recalcitrant, meaning they dry out very easily and you can't store them, um, you need to find a way to get consistent seed crop to keep up with the demand of planting forests. Um, So ideally, by the end of my PhD, I'll be able to suggest um, basically ways in which we could either improve seed crop to keep it more consistent, or I could have something that um, can sort of pre-warn us as to when a mast year or sort of certain areas are going to mast. Yes, that's basically it, I think. Fantastic. And how long have you been doing the project so far? So I've been here for about a year and a couple of months now. Okay, great. Settling in? Yes, I think so. I I started sort of mid-COVID, as I'm sure a lot of people have this story, so there was no one here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you you have to meet everyone over Zoom and Teams. It's not so conducive to sort of um, socialising because, you know, you you can have sort of one-on-one conversations, but as soon as there's a group of, you know more than 10 suddenly you can't have conversations between see one person has to talk at the same time but um yeah i think i feel now i'm getting a bit more into it and sort of used to it and especially now everything's starting to open up a little bit more you know we can do this yeah yeah and this is great it has been difficult and people might not know um exactly what it's been like to be a phd student Mm. during covid yeah Uh, and you're right that it's been difficult especially that sort of collaborative element that mm. PhDs uh, draw upon so much. Mm. Um, you know, normally you're about, you're in the cafe or whatever mm. at lunchtime, someone will say something and you go, oh, that's a great idea for yeah. what I want to do. Mm. And we have missed out on a lot of that and it's a real shame, but mm. yeah, it feels like it's getting back because yeah. I, I started just before COVID, mm-hmm. um, like six months before. Yeah, yes. And then, yeah, now it's starting to feel yeah. still not 
totally back to normal. Mm. It is starting to feel yeah. more similar. Mm. Um, how how what was your experience of the PhD during the sort of extreme COVID lockdown t- times? What were you getting up yeah, to? Yeah, so I, I was fairly fortunate where I could still... We'd already decided where I was going to do my main study, which was in Whiteham Woods in Oxford. <clears throat> um, so there you had the ability, even during lockdown, to go out there and start some data collection just because you were in the middle of the woods, no one around, stuff like this. You had to take certain measures like, you know, I wouldn't have been able to pick someone up in the car, obviously, and go and do field work, but it was me and my girlfriend that did sort of any initial field work so um yeah that was i was fairly lucky there um it meant i could get stuff done and then the sort of the other part of the phd the more collaboration meeting people could sort of be put on hold um i mean not to say i didn't do any sort of attempts at you know talking to people and meeting up but yeah all over email and zoom and stuff yeah it's just not the same is it Mm. but it's good you did manage to do some field work Mm. during covid because yeah I mean, I, I I can do anything. Mm. All my work is at CEL, the yeah. the crop lab, yes. um, and obviously you just weren't yeah. weren't allowed in. I, I always think the worst time for COVID to have hit would have been like you know, basically four months from now, almost. You're sort of just in your second year, you know, when you've got your stuff ready, and then you can start the experiments. Because I think very at the beginning. I think people were overly cautious, as they probably should have been, and just basically stopped everything. Yeah. But that meant certain stuff like me wandering around the woods probably wouldn't have been allowed even then. But because um, I think yeah, they did show a night for a bit. But um, yeah, and then when they realised it was like, well, actually, you're in the middle of the woods, no one else around. It's sort of okay to do. And but, oak um, trees yeah. can't get COVID. Oak trees can't get COVID. Okay, excellent. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, good. Yeah. I don't think squirrels can either. But you know. Do we know that for sure though? Well, there's been no study, but you've exactly. got to, and some things you've just got to accept. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so how long do you have left? Are you a three-year, four-year? Uh, three and a half years okay. funded, and then what? Well, I'm allowed to go to four years, aren't I? But I, I have to so. ask yeah. very politely for a bit more money, I think. Yes, um, I imagine you probably will do. But yeah, with yeah. the COVID thing, that is quite easy. Uh, I just yeah. got approved for, I think, three months extension, oh, nice. oh, which yeah. is, you know, great, but I lost almost a year. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have a weekend? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I managed to publish my review mm-hmm. and that's all I did yeah and I'm, I'm quite pleased with that because it was mm-hmm. I I had the time to put into it rather than doing mm-hmm. it you know the guy I was speaking to Eric in the last episode mm-hmm. um is writing his literature review now yeah. he's nearly ready to submit yeah so yeah. it's sort of it's gonna be I mean I'm sure he'll do a great job but it is yeah. going to be more rushed whereas mm-hmm. I had nothing else yes. to do yeah yeah um mm-hmm. great um and What's your experience of the project been like so far? Are you enjoying it? Is it stressful? Yeah, I'd, I'd say PhDs seem to be stressful partly because everyone tells you they're very stressful. Definitely. So I think you, you can never have the opportunity to relax because then you're like, well, why am I relaxed? Because people said it should be really stressful. So you, you can never sort of settle. Um, I mean, it, it very much sort of comes in waves, uh, like grief. Um, and it's just... You know, so you have a period of being like, oh, great, I sort of feel like I know what I'm doing. And then the next week, something wouldn't have worked. And then you're like, well, maybe I should just leave and go live in the woods or something like this. But um, no, I'd say generally, I feel the project at the moment is still going well. I've Part of being sort of locked in and not being able to meet people is, I suppose, um, a lot of my time, yes, has been spent trying to work out where to get data sources from and, you know, try and do collaborations <coughs> over email. So... I've been focusing quite a lot on that, so it's it feels like it's worked reasonably well. Um, yes, pretty much, you know. Yeah, I, I think I, I think um, your 
your point about um, the stress levels of it mm. is is so on it. It's yeah. so accurate. Yeah. You do feel like every time you feel like things are going well, you mm. feel like they shouldn't be. Yes, yes. And I think a big part of doing a PhD is learning to be okay mm. with the sort of ups and downs of it. Yeah. Because it, like you say, an experiment can just go wrong mm. and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Like at the moment, my potato plants have blight. Mm. I can I can do nothing about that at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's things I can, you know, learn from it and try and avoid it next time. But yeah. you just have to be like, okay, well, this is what's happened. Yeah. Can I make the situation mm. better? Can I... Can I change the things I can change and can mm. I accept the things I can't? Um, and how can I try and get something mm. from it? Yeah. And um, yeah, I think people struggle with that, obviously, because mm. it's not really how you go through the rest of university. Mm. You know, you right. don't really do a lot of independent work. Mm. Um, you you have to learn the answers to the tests. And if yeah. you learn the answers to the test, you do well. Yes. And then you come here and it's yeah. like, well, there's all these forces conspiring to try yeah. and... I mean, especially with any sort of ecology, natural world stuff, it does get, you know, you can plan so much and then, you know, the weather will just fuck you up for the whole year. And <laughs> then you're like, oh, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was, I was always told a story of um, some PhD. She wanted to go and study um, hummingbirds in Brazil or something like this. So she'd set up, like, done all the organisation. It was going to be here for three weeks and stuff like that. She'd have to do all of her work then, all the data collection, no other money to do anything else. Um, and she turned up and it rained for the whole three weeks um, and apparently hummingbirds don't go out in the rain so uh, <laughs> she just had to be like well yeah. I'm in a rainy Brazil for three weeks with nothing to do you right. literally just have to be like yeah mm. this is the situation yeah, can yeah. I do anything mm. yeah there's a there's a reasonably well known story mm. that um, Liam from CEL likes to talk about mm. where a guy literally just put all his eggs in this one experiment mm. and um not literally, yeah, metaphorically. Study eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah the, the crop just failed. It didn't rain or something. Yeah, and yeah. the whole crop that he was supposed to collect all of his data from. Because mm. everything before that had just been toying, fiddling to try and get this one experiment perfect. Mm. So it was like, you know, trying to figure out which soil to grow it on. Mm. It wasn't like a big experiment. It was just yeah. like, how well do these plants grow? Mm. And then got everything mm. exactly how they wanted it, perfect. Mm planned it to within an inch of its life yeah. and then it just didn't work yeah. and uh, you just have to crack on mm, there's literally yeah. all you can do yeah, I mean yeah. you can cry for a bit but yeah. and, you know, my, my supervisor yeah. gets a couple of emails every month of me being like I'm done yeah. <laughs> and then by the following week I'm yeah. like I'm fine yeah. I'm fine we'll get nice. through it um, and how how's it been are you are you where you thought you would be I guess you're probably not because of COVID well, but... it, well it depends because I'd, I'd started this as well knowing that COVID was a thing mm -hmm. you know um, so I sort of had ideas of what it would be like a bit um, I, it, it depends sort of when I was when you're asking what I thought it was going to be so at the very beginning uh, before I'd even actually been accepted to the PhD um, I sort of had these vague ideas of like, oh, I bet there's some long-term record on acorn crops and stuff like this. So I can sort of turn up and then like my own field work, yes, that would be stressful getting together, but at least I have this big data set. Um, and then it was like the first week in where I was told that basically, no, there was no large, you've got to find the large data set, Ryan. We don't know where it is. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay then. So, um, but then from that point, I'd say it's all gone more or less to plan. I have these sort of vague ideas. It's very, you know... Yeah, you, you can make really good plans, but you've got to sort of just go with it in a lot of different directions. Um, 
So I think I've got a good amount of data in different areas now. So um, I'm probably about where I wanted to be. Um, so yes, more or less, but we'll see. It could all still go wrong. It could, yeah. it could. That's something yeah. you always have to bear in mind. Yeah, um, yeah you, I guess a lot of people think that there is, there are these data sets out mm, there, these yes, mythical data yes, sets, yeah. and they just aren't. No. There's great data for some things. Yeah. Like if you want to know what the weather was mm. 30 years ago mm. in a square yeah. mile. There's, there's some guy that's been, you know, they've been recording the temperature in a field for the last yeah. 200 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Why? anything useful. Yeah. <laughs> there is no, there is no data. Yeah. You have to, you have to find it yourself, mm. um, which I think is probably a good thing because it mm. trains us to be able to mm. go out there and find out what we need to know. Yes. So with these um, with these paper casts, um, mm. I like to try and follow the structure of mm -hmm. the papers because mm -hmm. I think that is logical and it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, for people that aren't aware, mm -hmm. um, generally scientific papers will go abstract, which is like a paragraph that just tells you everything you need to know. Really, I mean, if you if you just read the abstract, you'll get a pretty good sense of what went on. You you won't get the nuance and you won't necessarily be able to think critically about the paper, but you'll you'll get the gist. Then you have the introduction, which sort of sets the scene. Um, and then you... Well, I don't know why I'm looking at this. I know yeah. how it works. <laughs> then you have your materials and methods, which yeah. tell you or should tell you exactly what happened. And in theory, you should be able to look at it and go, I could do that again. I could repeat that even without talking to the person that published the study. Yeah. In theory. Um, that isn't always how it is, but uh, but that is how it's supposed to go. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. After your materials and methods, you have results, which mm -hmm. is exactly what it you know does what it says on the tin, yeah. as it were. Um, it's just everything you found in a, a synthesized way. Is it's the data analyzed normally, and and often you'll have the raw data somewhere in the supplementary um, uh, materials. And then at the end, you just have a discussion where you talk about the results. And the results, you just say, this is what we found. Mm. Um, you don't elaborate at all. You don't say, well, we think it's because of this or that. That's all for the discussion. So I'm sure 90% of people watching this that's good. I've know that. Now, you know, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Like I, I try my best. Yeah. I really do. Um, so we'll start with the introduction. And this is mm -hmm. often a difficult question because it requires you to remember quite a lot about mm, yeah. what you wrote when you yeah, wrote it. Which, um, perfect. Is, uh, when did you say you wrote it? So well, the work happened in 2018. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of wrote it, yeah. The main of it, obviously, because it's from my thesis, would have been sort of 2018, 2019. And then you go back to it and you just edit bits for a long time, basically. Yeah, and then you did you submit it after you started here or before? Uh, before. So this is part of the reason it was done so long ago is we... I My supervisor at the time was essentially like, he thinks it's quite a good paper we should probably aim high. Um, so we aimed high first, um, and we went to sort of very high impact journals. Um, and then it was a series of projections um, of different... They're fun, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, They're well, really the, the first one, I was like, oh, if this is what rejections are like, that's not too bad. Because basically one reviewer was like, yeah, sure. The other one had some qualms, and then the editor eventually sided with the one with the qualms. But um, yeah, I think one of mine, they were basically like, why are you bothering to try and live? Like, just stop whatever you're doing, you know? Wow. How dare you? Yeah, wow. yeah. But um, but interesting enough, there the other side, the other review as well was then like, oh yeah, great paper, fantastic. Yeah, yeah it does always seem to go like that. Mm. You have like, I don't, I, I don't know if they pick them. They yeah. have somewhere picking them, but it does seem to be a good cop, bad cop kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. When I did my literature review, mm. one of them, it was like he was another supervisor or mm -hmm. they were another supervisor. I yeah. think it was a man because mm -hmm. um, on Frontiers they tell you who it is at the mm -hmm. end. 
But it, it was literally like, I think these things would make your paper better. Mm. And then I did it, yeah. and the paper was better. And he was yeah. like, good job. Yeah. Like, I think he literally at one point said, good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the other one was just like, this is horrible. Yeah, yeah, Like, I, I, I've talked about this before, but yeah. um, I had lots of old references in my paper, mm. in my, in my uh, review. Yeah. And I said in mm. the introduction, I have lots of old papers because mm. all the evidence on this topic is old. There mm. is no new evidence. Yeah. And I like that was like the last sentence of my introduction. Mm. Like, here's what we we know, yeah. but it is outdated, mm. and that's sort of the point of doing this, so yeah. that I can start updating it. Mm. And uh, the reviewer was just like, "Where's all the new?" And yeah. I was like, there is none. <laughs> I told you <laughs> there is, is none. This is the yeah, study. This yeah. is literally it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, that is just how it seems to go. And mm. uh, peer review is a great idea, mm. um, but but in practice, it can be extremely frustrating. Yes. Yeah. But uh, but you got this one published in the end. Yeah. Um, so we will, we'll crack on with the introduction. Uh -huh. um, is there any sort of important previous research, or maybe not previous research, mm. but information? I mean, you've already talked about masking a little bit. Um, mm. But but can you can you just help people get into this paper a little bit and so, understand what you're going to talk about? Yeah. So with this paper. It, it's not really linked to Marston. This is, you know, my PhD is about Marston, but this at the time was just a Marston in ecology and biodiversity. So um, I had to choose something in the area where, um, you know, I could sort of research and do a study on. Um, so this one I had interest in sort of phenology and phenology of plants and how, you know, different phenologies and variation because of climate change or just because of the sort of spread of a species phenology generally um, can affect their survival or performance. So, um this was sort of based off an interest of mine where it was, I like researching how phenology can change ecosystems. So this was sort of the level of study I could do um, at my master's level. Um, and yeah, it, it seemed to come out quite well um, in the end. Um, but yeah, it was sort of that sort of air. There wasn't one paper that made me do it. It was just a general interest in phonology. Yeah, well, I guess mm. for your masters, that is sort of more how it goes. Mm. You, can't, you can't really get too deep into mm. the the literature, whereas you know with yeah. PhD, you get a lot more time mm. to do that sort Absolutely. of thing. Um, can you tell the people what you mean by phonology? Because that is a bit of jargon. Fair. Yeah. So uh, my girlfriend's normally the one that says that. She's always like, "What the fuck?" Are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, phonology is basically the timing of biological events. So when Leaves come out in the spring, um, that's spring bud burst, that'll be a sort of phenological event. And um, the it's not an issue as such, but basically with climate change, um, some of these phenological events are sort of led by temperature or sunlight and stuff like this. So they can be changed and altered um, with climate change. So a, a very popular um, sort of area of study is phenological mismatch, where you have um, the best example sort of birds that migrate um, for winter so they have sort of timed their migration to be there ready for when the um, the leaves start growing and fruits start appearing on trees the issue is if climate changes faster in their area where the birds initially are and are going to go um, from um, it could be that they start to migrate earlier and then there's no leaves or berries or anything when they get to their end point um, so yeah so this is what I was doing with mine was more just trying to understand how um, seedling germination, so um, when they first germinate from the acorn, how that could change and interact with light availability um, and then whether that had any effect on sort of plant performance attacked by herbivores or sort of any pathogens. 
Great. Yeah, I think um, there's a few projects at Reading that mm. um, obviously unrelated to yours, but that mm. look at this um, uh, phenologic mismatch mm. idea. Is it phenologic mismatch? Phenological mismatch. Phenological mismatch. Yeah. Uh, there was, I don't know if they finished now, but there was someone that was looking at the timing of flowering in some crop mm-hmm. um, and pollinator mm. availability because yeah. it was you know the it's getting colder for longer mm. um, in over the winter mm. and the, the trees were flowering or the crop was flowering but there was mm. there was nothing to pollinate it yeah. so you they were seeing yield decreases mm. just because yeah that these two organisms were that have co-evolved mm. are now slightly mismatched yeah um, and I think that's product of climate change that a lot of people wouldn't be aware of mm. the idea that there's all these systems that have synced up over yes. thousands millions of years mm. um, and just because of slight changes in temperature mm. um, we we see these mismatches yeah. and it's much more of a problem than I think mm. people yeah. recognize um, this might not be a, an appropriate question considering this was your master's mm-hmm. um, and you have to sort of do what you have to do at master's level. It's a lot less yes. self-driven. Mm. Um, but but was there a specific knowledge gap that you were trying to address or that maybe your supervisor was trying to get you yeah, to address? Yeah. No, I mean, I think that certainly my supervisor had ideas of where he wanted the paper to sit. Um, you know, it was because his research group is um, plant micro interactions, stuff like this. So um, he was particularly interested, I think, as to how change in phenology could affect these interactions between pathogens, in this case, powdery mildew, any herbivory, stuff like this. Um, So, yeah, I think he wanted it to fill that gap. Um, Yes, I certainly at the time was happy to go along with the sort of general idea. Um, But, yes, then you had to sort of make it your own study by the Mm. end and, um, you know, put the work in. Yeah. Uh, Were there any specific questions that you were trying to address um, so with this one, it would be, um, how does germination timing, um, affect plant performance and survival, um, based on any interactions with light availability, uh, herbivore and pathogen attack. And, um, did you have any idea what you were going to find at all? Did you have sort of a... Yeah, so it, it's difficult this because partly... Part of the reason we did this study was making it a little bit noisy. So we were putting it into the field because you can do lots of sort of very more lab-based, add just one herb or add just one pathogen, see what happens when we sort of move um, move the uh, variables. But the issue with that is you sort of, you don't get an idea of how it works in the whole system. So um, with this one, we wanted to put it out into the field to partly see what would happen. So we had ideas, we had you know, um, so stuff like, you know, uh, high light availability might um, decrease uh, powdery mildew um, levels, um, you know, maybe early um, phenology, um, early germinating seedlings would have um, decreased um, sorry, herbivory by the end or something like this. But I mean, these were sort of, you could find lots of papers that disagreed and agreed with it anyway. So um, yeah, you sort of had to do it and find out and then sort of pick the interesting things from there, I think. Absolutely. So you've set the scene very well. Um, I get a real understanding, I think, why why you did this, yeah. um, which is not always the case with master's mm-hmm. students. I know mm-hmm. if you read my master's dissertation. It didn't um, make the journals I read, unfortunately. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it was uh, was 
Uh, it was not great. Um, it was okay. I, I've got it on my laptop and I yeah. cannot look at it. Yeah. I, I tried to look. No, this quite is painful looking over this. For yeah. Me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah. That is, I think if it's not, there's a problem. Like yeah. If you like, oh yeah, this is so good. No, no. There's, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, like, yeah. You need to have that little bit of, mm. of uh, self-doubt. Yeah, yeah. self <laughs> Um So let's let's dive in now into what you actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're cracking on with the materials mm-hmm. and methods section. Nice. Which, I think is is always my favourite section because mm-hmm. it gives you an understanding of of you know a person doing mm-hmm. some work. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've told us when, but where was this study conducted? So this was conducted in a field around the back of the um, Burgess Botanical Gardens um, and the Natural History Museum. It was a little bit of land that because I was told by my supervisor it was like go find somewhere to do the study. Um, and that was sort of it. And everyone spoke Swedish. I was like, right, okay. Um, so I yeah, this was in Sweden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I had to. That would find... be weird if it wasn't. Yes, yes, no. You know, in like London, you know, London, everyone speaking Swedish. But um, barns, lots of Swedish people in barns. Indeed, but uh, yeah. So it's part of at my masters at Stockholm. Um, so yeah, so I ended up doing it in this field because I'd sort of been wandering around the university areas and I'd found somewhere that I could set it up. And um, yeah, so what I did is I'd. I set three different blocks of distance from the nearest forest line, um, just in case there was any effect of like, we were calling this basically the source of powdery mildew. Um, and I initially, I had to sort of germinate all the acorns. Um, there's normally not great success rate with acorn germination. So, I mean, there was just a lot of acorns, like thousands and thousands and thousands, um, just to sort of get a good replicate number you then plant out um it was a mixture of acorns that i'd collected some just from around stockholm which was you know very pleasant to wander around and see everywhere and you find some maternal trees and collect acorns and then just to keep the sort of um replicate numbers good enough i also had to get some delivered from the netherlands and stuff like this um but yeah so i said it i set it all out in these blocks um it was a particularly painful experience setting up the experiment because um like it's it's, it very quickly gets out of hand. So you're like, great, I'll set up an experiment, these amount of trees, saplings, etc., etc. Then you realise, oh, I've got to dig each one into the ground because otherwise they'll die of, you know, the sun and dehydration. Um, and then you're like, oh, right, but I also need to set up an electric fence around the site that's at least six feet tall because otherwise the deer will just eat everything. Well, at least they could eat everything. Um, so you end up learning how electric fences work. You build one yourself and stuff like this. I'd end up in the middle of nowhere in Sweden, just, um, it was like this industrial estate, uh, going around and around hangers and trying to find the place where I was going to buy my electric fence from. Um, then loading it into, I, I didn't have a car at the time either, so I had to go get it on public transport. So I've got this massive box of like all my wire and poles. Um, yeah, and just the, yeah, the look on their faces when they gave it to me and they were like, why? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. But, um, but no, and then, yeah. So then I'd set it up. I dug all the holes, which was painful, especially it was, it was like the hottest summer in Sweden for 206 years, something like this. Wow. I'd also taken up rugby at the time. Oh, really? So, yeah. So I, I in was, Sweden? Yeah, Don't yeah. play rugby in Sweden? Yeah, yeah. I feel a spare of rugby, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, it was quite a small club. I'm going to detour to talk about my club now um, that's all right it was an inclusive rugby club oh, cool. um so it was really good fun it was the stockholm berserkers um and like um it was a smallish team sort of growing um at the time i didn't realize it was an inclusive rugby club i just turned up and i was like oh yeah i'd like to play some rugby 
Um, and then suddenly you realise like, oh, everyone's actually quite nice. There's no, there's no dicks anywhere <laughs> like this, you know. And She's unusual. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, rugby clubs are usually a bit like, oh, yeah, this guy. Oh, yeah, sure. But no, everyone was lovely and it was just a great experience. But it meant I was doing trainings Tuesday and Friday. Um, and then anytime I wasn't doing rugby training, I was digging holes. Um, and you must yeah, be fit. I was, yeah, it was, fit's a word. I was, I was definitely very fit but also damaged <laughs> like I'd, yeah sprung down maybe. yeah yeah overtrained I'd, yeah no I'd, I'd i'd like broken two ribs on a match um and then realized i had to still go out and like set up my field site afterwards um so it really was this sort of yeah you're there you can't really dig so well but you still need to get ah oh, it was painful but no, uh... <laughs> i understand completely um yeah. i did a season of sampling mm-hmm. uh, for a company yeah. Uh, back home yeah. so I would have to go out and dig rows of potatoes up yeah, and I was yeah. playing rugby yes. on the weekends yeah. and just getting broken yes. and then I would be there with my spade uh. <laughs> my, uh, my fork uh, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was brutal what position did you play? Uh, I was scrum half scrum was half my, my stature yeah 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 I wasn't uh... <laughs> not a tall man <laughs> no not a, not a tall man not a big man <laughs> especially was, uh... not compared to the Swedes no no but as uh, the, the fortunate thing was the level I was playing it was um, generally amateur um, mostly amateur there was for some reason we had the Uppsala we played against half of their team were like the professional team for Sweden um, <laughs> so yeah and I'd I'd lost so much weight doing the rugby and this I was down to something like 65 kilograms wow just being like pushed around on the yeah. wall and stuff like this it was like yeah a bit of agility though get around them yeah yeah that was the that was the aim you yeah. know which certainly yeah um, more or less worked I, the, the season I played we didn't we performed better than we did last year, I think, but we still received like a spanking of a hundred to five. From wow, Uppsala. that's a tough um, day. Yeah, that's yeah, a really yeah. Tough day, being on the end of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, that's great. It's mm. not. It's always nice to hear uh, a little bit more about the you know the person you're talking to mm. than just yeah the hard facts. Yes, yes. Um, and you've answered almost everything I've got written down here. That was mm-hmm. a great um, summary of your your methods. Nice. Um, one thing that I think you did leave out is is what you were trying to manipulate. What was mm. your independent so, variable to use the uh, yeah, scientific so I ha- term? I had uh, two levels of light availability. Um, so this was just shade netted that I put over the top. Um, and yeah, so I was doing that in my blocks. Um, the other manipulation obviously was the acorn germination. So I'd gone in the um, greenhouses before. Um, and I'd basically they were kept in st- cold storage and then when I wanted to create a phenological block I'd take them out and try and germinate them for a specific time um, so it meant I had three levels of germination sort of early, intermediate and late and then I had two levels of light availability which sort of high and low um, this was you're more or less trying to half replicate sort of a, a particularly closed off canopy or sort of more open canopy etc Um um, yes, I, I would have liked also a sort of completely open canopy, but as I mentioned, hottest summer for 206 years, um, anything in that heat would have just died without any shade. So, um, yeah, that would yeah. have been a fairly obvious result. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do that, but yeah. How, uh, how difficult is it to get your acorns to germinate? Is it as frustrating as getting potatoes to sprout? Yeah, it's, 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 it's potatoes hard, are they? I, in Can my head, be. I'm like, ah, uh, see. Can be. I, haven't, I, I think I just don't know the right way to do it. Because uh, all bet. the conventional wisdom says put them in the light. Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing that and they sprout quickly, but yeah. then I think that, that light that getting used to the light then stunts yeah. them slightly when you put them in the dark yeah, when you bury them yeah, fair. so I've been experimenting a little bit and okay. I think trying to germinate them in the heat but yeah. the dark yeah, yeah. would be a better idea fair. 
I think the actual germination isn't too bad as long as they haven't died. And I think that part of the issue is because they're recalcitrant, meaning they'll dry out, um, you know, and once they've dried out, they won't germinate. So it's hard to tell whether the acorn you have will be viable. So this is the main issue I think you find. Um, in terms of actual then germinating, I mean, as long as they've been in cold storage for a little bit, plop them in and then they should go well. But yeah, you, you'll plant 100 and then you'll realise that, you know, oh, 50 of them must have already been dead or something like this, you know. I, some of my bags I'd collected, um, I think the germination rate was like as low as 2% or something oh, like wow. this. Yeah, yeah. Presumably yeah. you had to plan for that. Would yeah, yeah. Knew so, that was going to be the case. Yeah, so the way I was germinating these was I was getting um, massive trays um, filled with soil, and then you can sort of place them all out. Um, so rather than doing it in one individual plot, hoping yeah. it grows, um, yeah, then you can see which ones are germinating, and then take them and then pot them up and stuff like this. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as they germinated, we moved them outside because we wanted them to be affected by the whole, um, yeah, the whole climate at the time and stuff like this yeah but would yeah. they would they maybe not have germinated had you planted them mm. outside uh po- possibly not it's mostly as you wouldn't have been able to tell until it was a bit too late because you've had to put it in a pot and then um then go around and be like well those ones didn't germinate and empty them um also yeah you you just yeah you're, you're a bit worried um that at that point before it's formed into anything it could be eaten by a herbivore squirrels always I think anybody that works with oaks generally hates squirrels for their passion. <laughs> They're always talking about how much, you know, they hate them and they damage the trees, they eat the acorns, all this stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah, there was this sort of pre-germination in the labs, which helped a lot yeah, more to get Because that's, that's something that I can see a reviewer getting a bee in their bonnet about, mm. what, you know, trying to be naturalistic by doing yes, it in the field, yes. but it was Because that was a reviewer comment. So I think somewhere in there, there's a sentence that basically says, it's fine, mate. You know, it's like, uh, it was... We were like, um, yeah, because they were like, well, you're doing it in the lab, but then moving it out. Um, and we were basically saying, well, it's still, you know, it's being moved out as soon as it germinates. So it's not like we're growing them in the lab for a certain height or anything like this. Um, it's just to sort of instigate that germination. And um, then they're still out for the whole sort of natural range of... Um, yeah. What would be. And if you don't do it that way, you might not have an experiment. Yes, Which exactly. is something that people forget, I think. Yes, yes. Like, yeah. Yes, we did have to do it that way. Yeah, mm. I think it's important to acknowledge that it's not, you know... Yeah. ideal but mm. otherwise how are we no, going to collect all this yeah, data exactly um yeah. is there much variability obviously you've said there's a very low rate of germination in the acorns mm. is there much variability in how long it takes them to germinate do you remember yeah so it um again some will you know it's what made it difficult again where yeah some will germinate after x amount of weeks and i think there's some level as to because they need to be in cold storage first to sort of go dormant and then they can um, germinate so I think it's just a level of where some maybe maybe they're in the centre of the bag or it was a bit warmer or something like this so they didn't really have enough cold storage uh, I mean even I've been just germinating acorns at Reading um, just from trees I collected at Whiteham um, and I did my first round of germinations and you know I did proper germination tests to see what would happen and then I got the results from that and then all the ones that didn't germinate I just chucked back in the bags and back in the fridge um, but then you know, based off that, checking in my fridge, uh, acorns everywhere germinating. You know, they're still trying and stuff like this. So it's, yeah, I have, you know. I have spuds sprouting in the uh, in the fridge at the moment yeah. as well. They're yeah, just, yeah, mm. not a lot you can do to stop them. No, no, but yeah, but um, but yeah, but in terms of what I was actually recording after that though, because I was trying to get an idea of how powdery mildew and herbivory attack 
um, effectively seeding. So I was doing general performance traits in terms of measuring how tall the seedling would grow, how many leaves, leaf width, stuff like this. Um, and I had to individually individually label each leaf. So I had oh wow yeah I had seven hundred odd saplings. Um, I was hoping each sapling would produce about three to four leaves, <laughs> something like this. Um, then there was just instead this huge amount of um, yeah by by purification. Anyway, but basically lots of branching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean the average was probably closer to about eight or nine, with some little saplings having like twenty odd leaves and stuff like this. So I'm there with my little sharpie, sort of bent over under the shade nets, marking each one with your broken then, ribs. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, and then you've got to yeah mark each one and then go back and record powdery mildew on the top and the bottom, herbivore attack, chlorophyll, leaf thickness, um, seedling height, and all this stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. I have an experiment planned to uh, look at leaf greenness in mm. potato, and mm. I. I just finishing it or I'm finishing an experiment where I did it mm-hmm. and I've decided that I need to track mm-hmm. the leaves so that I can try and stay mm-hmm. on one leaf because yeah. it's not something people normally do but mm-hmm. I am slightly dreading that and that's yeah. only going to be for a few plants yes yes but you had to count every and yeah. You know, yeah record every leaf on every yeah sapling. I, arguably it was probably Seedling. I yeah arguably I probably shouldn't have done as much but you 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 have the plan, the protocol, and you're like, well, I'll follow this. And then when it gets out of hand, you're still just trying to do it as fast yeah. as possible. I probably could have gotten away with not recording every leaf on the uh, plant yeah. or something like this. But um, yeah, I did. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, you got the data, yeah, so yeah. why not? I think that is a good uh, a good bit of advice mm. for when you're designing experiment is mm. try and collect as much data as you can. Yeah, yeah. But be aware that you may have given yourself too much work. Yes. And there becomes things... a level when it's like, well, this is now too much. Yeah. And is this actually getting me much more? Yeah. You know? And you want to prioritize mm. what you're collecting. Mm. You know, if it, it, there are more important things than yes. knowing exactly how many leaves yeah. everything's got. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, especially when you're looking at predation and mm. parasitism and yeah. pathogens. Mm. Um, you have already mentioned mm-hmm. that you had to buy and learn how to put up an electric fence. Yes. Um, and I wondered why you chose to exclude large herbivores like deer. Yeah, I, I, this was another comment from one of the reviewers. I, don't, I think this one didn't like I should be a reviewer. <laughs> um, yeah, and they, it, it's one of those things, again, where we just had to say, well, the danger was, because this was a one-year project, I was in Stockholm for the year, um, I couldn't come back after this, so we wanted to make sure we still had something to record. So in the off chance that a single deer came along and just ate everything, um, we sort of had to exclude them. Um, and I don't think it's incorrect to do that, because you know we're basically saying, well, another study can find out the effects of deer on our seedling sapling stuff like this um we're specifically looking at those that haven't been attacked by large herbivores um whether there's an effect on powdery mildew small mouth herbivory just general insect herbivory stuff like this yeah i guess the the, the argument that a reviewer might make mm. um and it's sort of extremely pedantic mm-hmm. um but they might say that there might mm. be an interaction between mm. large herbivores and small herbivores yeah, yeah. and that may alter the relationships that you see but yeah, you know yeah. what can you do why don't you do the study then dog right? <laughs> <laughs> i would be terrible i would be absolutely terrible yeah if i if i had a 0.2 percent germination rate i would uh, lose my yeah, head yeah, yeah and uh no but yeah sometimes mm. you just have to make these decisions mm, and absolutely research yeah, can't be perfect mm. but you've still got to try and you know learn as much as you can yeah 
and uh, who knows if there is even a relationship between you know Big Deer mm. and you yeah. know there are in all the Disney films, but maybe in real yeah, life yeah. they you know <laughs> they do their own thing. Yeah. Um, great. So I think we've got a good idea of of what you've got up to and mm-hmm. and how you did this study, mm-hmm. and you've answered all of my questions without me having to ask almost any of them, which is nice. really good, good stuff. Um, so now we can move on to results. Mm-hmm. Um, I results are, are the piece of the paper that I struggle to read the mm-hmm. most yeah, um, yeah. because it is very dry it is literally mm-hmm. just I mean your graphs are lovely and I'll show the people at home I've gone for the, they that's, they're supposed to be colourblind friendly that was why I yes. chose those yeah I try yeah. and use greens and blues and yeah, yeah avoid reds mm. um, very good very yeah. good and these are these are strong yeah. graphs <laughs> tables I can never get on board with a table yeah. can't nice. stand tables yeah. um, so to try and you know, mm-hmm. make this bearable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, could you just highlight the most important or interesting results, or are there any mm-hmm. results that you found unexpected? Yeah, so the, the most unexpected and possibly, yeah, well, it was the small mammal herbivory. So we weren't really planning as such to record uh, small mammal herbivory. Um, they catch it in that small mammal herbivory. Anyway, we weren't planning to record that as such, but. Um, then it came about that, um, yeah, that stuff started getting eaten, um, which we weren't quite expecting. And then we were like, well, we'll record which ones are being eaten because it's still an effect on plant survival, plant performance then, obviously. Um, and what we found was this very strong um, effect of the early germinating um, seedlings basically had very low mortality rates. So they mostly survived. They weren't really eaten. Um, I think it was something like, maybe 1%, something like this. Um, but then the late germinating um, seedlings, they had like 25% of them were eaten. Um, and it felt very much like they were really going after these later ones rather than these early ones. Um, so yeah, that was quite striking. And sort of an idea we had as to why that might have been was um, just looking at when the acorns were growing, those that were earlier, they had more chance to sort of um, grow tall and large. And I think most importantly there, the acorn they were growing from shriveled quite a lot because obviously all the stored carbohydrates are coming out from there in to make the seedling. Um, all the late ones, because they started growing so late, they weren't that tall and the acorn was still the sort of this large, juicy uh, thing. Um, so it seemed like basically these um, mice and voles and stuff were... Uh, wandering around seeing the ones that were looking the tastiest and then sort of once they'd ate that you know and it was something 99% of the time once they'd ate the acorn um the seedling wouldn't grow and would die um very occasionally they'd eat the whole acorn but sort of leave it more or less attached to its roots um and then it would still grow but it would then because of all these stored carbohydrates you'd have in the acorn they couldn't have that anymore it was these tiny piddly little things and stuff like this so um, that was the most like surprising and really interesting because then you're saying because there's these ideas where um, maybe you want to germinate earlier so you've got a longer growing time but the issue of germinating earlier is maybe you're going to get attacked by frost or something like this and impact your survival uh, but we were saying well even if you germinate early it seems like you might have a reduced impact of being attacked by um, you know voles and mice um, so maybe it still was a good idea to sort of germinate early um in terms of effects on powdery mildew and whether there was interaction with light availability i think there were a host of different things where it seemed like there was occasionally stuff where you know maybe under higher light there was a bit more powdery mildew um 
But what we found, because we did the overwinter survival of this as well, um, so after I'd done my study, I'd gone back the next year because I was still working as a field assistant um, and then seen which one survived to the next um, spring. Um, and there wasn't really any effect of powdered mildew or different light treatments or insect herbivory there. So um, we, were, we seemed to basically be saying it wasn't so important, the sort of environment, but um, the phenology um, did seem to be quite important, whether that was, you know, just you're more likely to get eaten and die um, versus, you know, anything else. So, yeah. Yeah, and that that brings up mm. quite nicely the idea that I think people don't really think about, but this is so important in biology, mm. is this idea of trade-offs. Mm. There is, there presumably, mm. from this research, there is a trade-off between germinating late mm. and, um, you know, avoiding the frost yeah. and germinating early mm. and um, being eaten by animals. Hello. Uh, hey. uh, <laughs> a man has just come in to clean the door. Yeah, yeah, this happens yeah. on every single one I do. That's... And I don't know what they do. I don't know why they're doing this. Like, it doesn't seem important to do it now, does it? Like, it doesn't yeah. seem important to do it ever, uh, to be honest. Yeah. He's, like, he's got a microphone. Yeah. Tell you what. I, I don't know why they... And nothing else. Nothing else is rubbed down. Uh, it's just yeah. the door handles. Um, I, and I'd seen this, actually. So I, I had COVID in January, yeah. and I'd been in the library, and I'd seen this guy. Yeah. It's always the same guy yeah. going around cleaning the door handles. Nice. So I, I had it in my head, and then yeah. got, got COVID. And they ring you up, like, a million yeah. times a day just mm. to make sure you're not doing anything yeah. and to make sure you're, you know, sane. Because yeah. it is difficult when mm. you're isolated yeah. with your girlfriend for 10 days. Mm. Sorry, Ellie. Um, <laughs> and uh, I said, like, do I need yeah. to, like, clean the door handles? Because yeah. I've seen, like, people at uni doing it. And they're yeah. like, no. Yeah. Yeah. What, are you licking door handles? Yeah. What are you doing? They, they literally yeah, yeah, yeah. were, like, <laughs> unless you're spitting on it or yeah, licking yeah, it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Why would you need you to? Um, get that grip. Yeah. You know? Crazy. You know? yeah. Crazy. But they still do it here for some reason. Yeah. I think he's just bored. Yeah. Because yeah, he's yeah. always coming around doing yeah. it. No matter what time I'm in here. Yeah. Maybe he just wants to chat. Maybe he wants to be a guest. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I should ask him if he's if he's got any recently published work to talk yeah. about. Maybe he could do a study yeah. on yeah. cleaning door handles. Yeah. He could leave half. Yeah. That would be unethical, though. Okay. You get in trouble with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, great. So, yeah. So, you weren't expecting to see this small herbivore mm. predation effect no. but you you noticed it early on and yes. you thought we'll just collect this data yeah more or less we, we noticed it um mostly because i was worried all of my saplings were going to die <laughs> and i was like oh okay then and then at that point you're like well there's nothing i can do because you know at that point i'd done so much to set up the field site you could start talking about oh we'll get chicken wire in to try and build but it was right in the peak of when I was supposed to be recording stuff anyway, so you just don't have the time. So you've just got to, again, accept it and be like, well, we'll see what happens then. Um, and luckily there was instead this just sort of, you know, really nice pattern that mm-hmm. uh, then you can sort of talk about and, uh, yeah, maybe says interesting things. But, um, yeah. yeah. Definitely, the more data you collect, the luckier you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. you're going to have mm-hmm. access to more things you can look at. No, indeed. Um, so well done for, mm-hmm. yeah, for, for noting that as a master's student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Because I would not have done that. Um, great. And did do you think? I mean, obviously, this this small mammal, presumably mm-hmm. um, small herbivore mm-hmm. predation, was was unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to what you said about the questions you had before mm-hmm. you started, yeah. do you feel like the the method that you employed and the study that you did answered those questions well? Do you think you could have done it differently? Uh, I, th- I think the method was reasonably good. 
Um, I, ideally, I think you want to follow them for a couple of years afterwards to see, because there could have been this thing where there were effects of powdery mildew um, or herbivory, but maybe they weren't going to be noticed until later on. But um, you don't have the time, obviously, to carry on recording. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd obviously have liked to record it for longer, um, a few seasons to see if there was any effect there. Um, obviously, I'd have liked maybe greater variety in the shade netting. Um but, you know, with the, the heat wave, basically anything that wasn't under shade netting was going to die. So um, we didn't have a lot of option there either. Um, but, I mean, I think the methods generally, I think, were fairly good. Um, I think it is just this element of you have to slightly see what you get. Um, and I don't know if there's anything explicitly that I'd change for it for this study. Because I think it was still fairly good at finding out if there was an effect of um, uh, spring phenology, sort of germination, um, with any later on effect of powdery mildew and herbivore attack. Did you um, did you manage to collect any data on the herbivores that were predating your seedlings? You... No, no. So, um, yes, like, I suppose that would be, yes, something you'd like to do as well. But um, this is part of the reason you can know which damage there is, whether it be sort of chewing or piercing and stuff like this. But um, without sort of really experimentally increasing or decreasing herbivores you're not quite going to know what's attacking your seedlings um so this again is why we sort of done in the field was yeah we don't know quite what's going to attack it but we can just talk about generally the levels of herbivore damage rather than specifically which ones would have been nice to have you know camera traps or something yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know cost money no i mean the the person more effort than they're worth i think there was a phd student after me um who worked on my um field site and one of her projects she attached aphids onto the leaves um to it was basically she was seeing how did she do that well here's the thing so she was seeing if um i think it was group size whether there was effect on group size and it's really small scale um and literally she like glued little strings to wow. their backs wow and then like, attached to the leaves so they had this sort of roaming area <laughs> they could go around like and a stuff, dog like on this. a lead yeah yeah exactly um yeah that so, must have been frustrating well as soon as there's these tiny things yeah. i think you know yeah that you can do it, but oh god, so yeah. so much pain. Because yeah. I don't think she even then, because that was later published. But I don't think she ended up talking about that right. with the aphids. She right. ended up just talking about how um, phenolog- early phenology affects later senescence, basically. I'd yeah. be I'd be talking about it if I'd done yeah. that. If I'd been through that hell, <laughs> yeah, I'd be yeah, like, we're yeah. talking about this. Yeah, yeah. Nothing interesting came of it. No, exactly. But I want it to be published that I did this. Yeah, yeah. And it took forever. Yeah. Um. So this is. Maybe a question you've already answered, mm-hmm. um, but do do you know? You might not know mm-hmm. this, but mm-hmm. uh, do do you think at least mm-hmm. um, that wild acorn germination mm-hmm. coincides with the population of acorns that had the highest survivability in your study? So that early, late, intermediate mm-hmm. germination. Yeah, because you'd think it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if I was. If I was asked to bet, I'd probably go with the results of my study, yes. I, I understand there's lots of different factors going on there because obviously you've just got, you've got not just got germination, you've got sort of predispersal um, acorn predation. You've then got, yes, it, where it's landing in a specific area, like all, all of our acorns are potted to sort of stop any effects of the, the ground or anything like this. There wasn't any competing plants because that was another thing where, you know, put down ground sheeting so we didn't have to worry about that um you know so i mean educated guess sure i'll go for you know 
my study getting it right but um yeah you're, you're not gonna know and then uh until you sort of do these field studies and then see if there's any relation there you know um i've written a question i don't fully understand what i mean by it so nice. i think i might skip that one okay <laughs> i'm not really sure uh, yeah. what that means yeah. um second glass of wine was it when you were writing perhaps this? Yeah, yes yeah. um something that i did find very interesting you mentioned briefly towards the end of your discussion mm-hmm. um and this sort of tickled my fancy because i have a, a interest in evolution mm-hmm. um but you you suggested that the deeply buried early germinating seedlings not necessarily in your mm-hmm. study but in the wild yeah um might have a lower mortality mm-hmm. than than sh- more shallowly buried mm. um later germinating seedlings yeah and you said that this may have something to do with squirrels mm. which you know obviously the bane of your existence yeah. when you're trying to do the research That's but it, in a yeah, yeah. natural environment yeah. you know, a very important mm. part of that mm. um and i wondered if that was possibly uh, an example of a sort of co-evolution maybe with mm. with the oak trees and the squirrels are they mm. you know do they piggyback on the squirrels burying them to get that earlier germination mm. and um, also why do you think deeper buried seeds would germinate more quickly yeah so i think it specifically with the depth of the seeds that was more talking about because um i think it was a reviewer comment um had said this and it was because we've potted them up the soil's a bit loose and so the ones that sort of were getting eaten you know they were sort of could be dug into a bit easier um so then we were talking just generally about you know where it might be the ones that were buried particularly deep in the wild um, and then sort of forgotten on about by a forgetful squirrel. Um, yes, they'd probably do better because maybe, um, you know, those that aren't buried so deep can still be eaten by another um, sea predator, something like this. Um, and there doesn't really seem to be any issue with, um, you know, an acorn growing from particularly deep. Um, so, yeah, I think this was partly just an allowance we'd made in our study because, you know, pots it was actually fairly easy for the sea predator to get into um so yes it was more or less i think i think have i answered that i'm not too sure i think you've answered it pretty well it was a very long question i maybe should have broken it up slightly um but yeah just the idea that you know Mm. that um oak trees might be taking advantage of squirrels in some ways they might have Mm. to sacrifice a certain you know as i Mm. guess is the case with masting which we're looking Mm. at now it's a sort of sacrifice of no, exactly. Big yield yeah, to you, keep the carrying capacity low. It's, you're, you're sort of sacrificing your acorns, but I think most importantly, you're sacrificing your neighbour's acorns mm. because you're trying to do it all at the same time. So that um, yes, your individual acorn has an increased chance of making it. Um, um, yeah, and, and there is definitely studies that talk about there the distance that the acorn is taken from the original tree and the sort of depths it's buried at um, and stuff like this. But um, Great. So overall, mm-hmm. do you think, and this is a really difficult question to answer, but mm-hmm. do you think your study was successful? I mean, I got a master's. That was pretty good. Yeah. Right? Uh, um, it was published. It was yeah, more than most yeah. people achieve in their master's. No, so. no. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's difficult. You know, I don't know if you can talk about papers as being successful or unsuccessful. I suppose it's unsuccessful if you think there are things in your study that have, you know, been bias or there's some sort of artifact that you're not allowing for um i think in terms of what this study was trying to answer um it's done the right thing to sort of generate an answer there it's not necessarily as easy as a yes or no answer all the time but um yeah you know 
the study was looking at these sort of interactions and whether there was effective phonology and light availability and it produced what it produced so i don't know whether it's right or wrong per se but um for the best of our knowledge you know it was successful in that you know that's a very very good answer very oh, yeah. scientific answer well, yeah. <laughs> did the uh, paper address what we set out for it to address yeah, were our yeah. methods appropriate yeah, and valid no, that, yes, yeah, very yeah. good very you good you find that said more when you don't find something really interesting <laughs> it's <laughs> a great success oh, we yeah, learned all this more. cool stuff science. I know what dark matter is now <laughs> Um, so what, what's next? I mean, obviously, this is your master's. You're now doing your PhD. W yeah. What are you planning to do um, in the next big experiment? So, uh, yes, it's not it's not going to be related to this paper, um, next big experiment. As I said, there was stuff that came from this. So, um, you know, a P visiting PhD student was able to use my field site and she published her paper um, that used a bit of that. Um, That's a really good graph. Thank you. Yeah, really <laughs> good. Good. Sorry, uh, sorry. No, no, it's good. It took me ages, of course. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. very good. Um, just the thing: if anybody ever writes in data, um, never write it in columns, even though it makes sense to you. Always write it as sort of melted. So each, I'm not going to be able to explain myself well here, but so with these, I had early, medium, and late phonology and stuff like this, and then different light availabilities. So I think I had the you know, tree one here, for instance, and then I'd listed whether it was early phonology, what the light availability was, etc., etc. The issue with that is when I went to then make the graphs, they weren't, the, the graphs couldn't understand, the program couldn't understand how it worked. So in the end, I had to, you take them all and you put them all in one column and then you just have a um, label at the top saying, what, tell me what stage or light availability this is in. And they just put it in, and mm -hmm. then that seemed to work quite well. I don't know if any of that made sense, but not to me. It was a great bait of my existence. Yeah, so, uh, data minded. So um, maybe to someone it's made, <laughs> made sense. Um, but yes, yeah, so in terms of what's next for this, um, this one is pretty much done. Um, so instead, I am doing my studies on Oak Marston. I'm doing a study into individual variation of acorn production at White and Woods. Um, this is looking at because mast years you get this idea that a huge area produces acorns at the same time. Um, it's not actually true as such. Um, you still get some trees producing the vast majority of the acorn crop and others producing basically none. Um, so I think this is fairly interesting to sort of research to find out whether there's a particular reason why these ones are producing more, whether it's, um, you know, maybe they're just um, taking this, the mechanistic drivers are affecting that one more and then you, can you work out what the drivers are because this one's doing really well and this one isn't doing really well is there a difference in the environment there perhaps um, and from that I also want to do some sort of intervention studies it might be um, looking at pollen limitation or something like this um, you know whether self-pollination outcrossing pollination on oak flowers produces more or less acorns of better or worse quality or something like this. It's an absolutely fascinating thing to mm. research because there's mm. so much going on mm, and there's yeah, so much yeah. that could be interacting yeah, with, yeah. with the trees because mm. you've, you know, you've obviously got the environment, you've mm. got the more general climate, you've mm. got yeah, like pollen issues, mm. pollinators, yeah, predators, yeah. Mm. so much it, it, it There's always at. a lot to look at. I think part of the issue, because there's a lot to look at, every study you then get this, it's similar to you pointing out the... Um, 
large herbivores earlier where you're studying something that's very very complex you can only study x amount of it Mm -hmm. so then you always have someone who comes and goes like well why didn't you put this in as well like well there was only so much do you want to pay for it (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. do you want to come and help me collect the data Uh, yeah yeah. science has to be reduction yeah yeah. i mean i'm trying to fight against that somewhat with my sort of first study because i'm trying to look at everything if possible Mm -hmm. look at the main areas so looking at um, pollen limitation, any sort of nutrients, and um, yeah, just general environment and microclimate. So hopefully, I'll cover my bases there. Lovely stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's covered pretty much everything I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely fascinating work. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything I've missed that you would like to talk about? Um, I don't think so. I think you know we cover this generally I, I apologize my memory of it's not that great that's, i'm no, sure i've, I've done a very good job. said stuff that's incorrect or just made stuff up i'm sure but, well uh, if, uh, yeah. if people want to to read it mm-hmm. um it is uh, once again spring phenology dominates over light availability in affecting seedling performance and plant attack during the growing season um published in forest ecology and management um is there anyone you want to, you know, mention, thank, any of that sort of stuff? Well, I mean, I, I think the paper, will, you know, in terms of obviously all my co-authors there, uh, these were the ones that, you know, guided me to write a paper and generally helped me throughout my whole master's experience. Um, you know, I, they, they were a good group of people, especially when you are at that level where you don't really know anything mm-hmm. in the beginning. You, yes. You get somewhere. So and, you mean like right now? Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, you, you do your whole undergrad. And I think it's very easy for you to do your undergrad with actually, you know, huge gaps of knowledge in certain areas. Absolutely. So, um, I think the main one for this was the sort of stats knowledge. Um, I didn't yes. know how statistics work. I still I went don't. To no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, nobody knows how they work. No, that's I true. I that's definitely true. didn't know. How Statisticians they work. claim yeah. they know. Well, exactly. But it could yeah. just be magic. Honestly, yeah. it could just be magic. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah they were there, and then I would also because often with uh, my work, my girlfriend is always there helping me collect data. And she never gets her name on anything other than the acknowledgements. <laughs> but, uh, is she in the acknowledgements? She's in the acknowledgements. Know, she's, uh, uh, she's the only one I thank right at the end. We thank uh, Eleanor Child for help yeah. with uh, setting up the experiment and recording data. So uh, thank you, uh, Eleanor Child. Indeed. My girlfriend's called Eleanor as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Not Eleanor Child. Everyone. No, no, not uh, Eleanor Child. Be awkward, no, no, no. Awkward, no. It? And if it was, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> um, no, Eleanor Froud. Uh, Odd name. Uh, Even she misspells it sometimes. Oh, uh, yeah. Her name on like Snapchat when we were at school was Eleanor yeah. Fruce. Because she put an S instead of a D <laughs> on her own name. Uh, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't let her anywhere near my plants. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's great that you, uh, you, you, you know, go out and collect data as a, as a team. Mm, that's very, very yeah, helpful yeah. of her. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a rare thing. No, I, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have done as well as I did in the Masters without her. Because, mm. you know, it's even little things in terms of just... So I'm there, bent over, collecting data, trying to count the powdery mildew spores on my leaf. Um, and if you have to do that with a clipboard to write it down, yes. you can't put it, you know, so you just need someone there to sort of be acting as scribe for you yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's so helpful. Someone also to be like, you know, say it's two o'clock in the afternoon, you're fed up and tired and you just want to go home. So I'll be like, oh, let's just do a few more, yeah. you know, because yeah, yeah. we'll have to be here the other day. I feel like I need I need that, yeah. but um, yeah, not mm. from not from my missus. She yeah. was great actually when I did do my masters because yeah. she paid slightly more of the rent. Oh, because I was very are, very poor. Yeah. But uh, emotional support, any of this thing, you know? Uh, yeah. A bit. Oh yeah. Her emotional support generally is just like mm. suck it up. All right. Stop what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> stop moaning. Because yeah. I moan a lot. I am a moaner. Yeah. So she's yeah. like, stop moaning. Fair, oh, fair. Oh, yeah, I should yeah. stop moaning. But this was great. Mm-hmm. This was a really good episode. I think you've done an mm-hmm. exceptional exceptional job of explaining what you did considering mm-hmm. it was 
three-ish years ago. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, thank you very much for coming and doing this. Thank you for having me. Um, hopefully, you'll get some more stuff published during your PhD and we can chat again. Um, and uh, thank you very much for watching and listening. I always do that. I point at the microphone yeah, when yeah, I say yeah. listening, yeah, which yeah, they, don't, they can't see. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you for watching yeah, yeah. and thank you for listening. I don't need to point. Yeah. Um, and I will see you in the next episode, although I don't know who that's going to be with or when it's going to be. So if you know anyone that's published anything in your... I mean, there Sphere. must be people, yeah, sure. Yeah, there's always people. It's yeah. just getting hold of them and getting yeah. them to agree to it. It's difficult. It's a little bit easier at the moment. It's all that. It's just that research self-hate. They're like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, but it's fine. <laughs> like, it's fine. We all have that, so we can yeah. all relay. And, yeah. you know, and, and also it's nice. I think it's nice for... Because normally, you know, you go to the pub or whatever with mm. friends from home yeah, yeah. or school or whatever, mm. and you're like, let me talk about oak masting yeah, or potatoes. Yeah. And yeah. they go, no, yeah. shut up. We're here to watch the rugby or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think the people that have done it have enjoyed the opportunity mm. to talk about their research nice. without, you know, yeah. <laughs> the normal yeah. experience of people going, shut up, yes, please. Yes. Um, but but thank you very much. Um, mm-hmm. This has been, been great. And, uh, yeah, I will see you or you will hear me in the next one mm. and I always do this it's a strong this, ending this I is like embarrassing yeah, yeah. but I always do this I have to do this because uh-huh. there's a guy who specifically requests it uh-huh. please nice <laughs> <laughs>